Product Quest Podcast. Join Jan Vermouth, Jonathan Evers, and myself, Scott Burleson, on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. Today's topic is jobs to be done. Some call it a theory, some call it a philosophy, but whatever we call it, many find it to be useful. Useful for innovation, for market research through development, even including sales. Jobs to be done, it can be a topic that can be quite deep. So today, we're going to just keep to the basics. And in total transparency, jobs be done is something that Jan, Jonathan, and I are, are quite passionate about. So let's get this started with just a general understanding of what jobs be done in. Jan, we'll begin with you. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the American series, The Office, but they're the boss. Of course. There, okay. <laughs> His name was Michael Scott. And uh, there was one scene where he asked somebody to, there was something he wasn't understanding. And he said, well, will you explain it to me like I was five, year old, five years old? You might have known where I was going. So, Jan, how would you explain jobs to be done simply enough that a five-year-old uh, could understand it? Oh, wow. Okay, that's a nice way to start it. Well, I think maybe, first of all, what you can try really for a five-year-old, I don't know if it works, so I don't have kids, but um, sometimes we use that expression, especially in, in, in American English, but if you, for example, fix something with duct tape, Right, you, 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 something is broken. You fix it with duct, duct tape. Then you can say, "Well, it might look ugly, but it does the job." So we know the metaphor of getting a job done. We know this jobs to be done language from our natural way of how we speak. So, and what do we mean when we say this? So, in that moment of when we say, "Well, the duct tape gets the job done," we mean something like, "Well, it gets me to where I want to be, or it does what it's supposed to do." Um, it might not be good in some respects, but it is good in the one respect that matters in this case. So if you think about just normal way of how we use this expression, getting a, getting a job done, and there's others, I mean, maybe not for a five-year-old, but sometimes in the movies, kind of the, the mafia boss, they say, just get it done, just get the job done, right? So we know this expression, and I think um, that's why the name is so beautifully chosen. We know it from our natural language, and we take that and, and try to figure it out and try to apply it, sorry, in, in, in innovation, for example, or in product product design. And as you mentioned, it, it's it's the second question then is why should we use it for? What's what is it actually useful for? And there I think it because it provides a great answer to, to a fundamental question. And the fundamental question is what do customers really want? What do they want? And it's beautifully put, of course, by the book of um, Tony Alwick, I think one of his first ones, where, where it's just the title, What Do Customers Want? And the job they want to get done is the fundamental answer to that question. So what do they what do they want? Because so I am so you're just gonna to have to interrupt me, but I'll blabber on. So because so often in companies we start talking about, okay, when we start talking about what do customers want, we mention price or we mention features, or we say, well, they want it blue, not red, and so on and so on. So we get lost in a very different ways of giving an answer to what our customers want. But it's never fundamental because you can change it from red to blue and some might like it, some might not. You can change the price and some will buy less or more, whatever you do. So, But it's never an answer in a fundamental way of what do customers really want with whatever we are producing, with the product we're putting out, with the service that we're creating. And something, so that, that for me, that shows the usefulness and the value of jobs to be done in a certain way. I hope that kind of, yeah, helped to explain it a little bit, so. I think that was fantastic. It's funny, you know, being an American, I, I don't know, like fish discover water last. I don't know if you do like that, that expression, but this getting the job done, I wasn't even aware that was an American friend. <laughs> but, you know, when, um, you know, when Clayton Christensen said a customer hires a product to accomplish a job, it's like, yeah. the, it's like when you hear that, there's so much more there than is readily apparent. And it's really... A metaphor. Well, it's sort of a metaphor. It's yeah. sort of direct, but it it firmly establishes the true relationship between a company and a customer. When we're inside the company, just like you said, we get so myopic. We think about well, we, we we're sort of obsessed with what we we think customer needs are, but we're so close to our technology that it's hard for us to really back up and ask this question: What? does a customer hire our product to do? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. 
And it's it's easy to kindle, get lost in all these in all this stuff because that's I mean that's your day to day as a product manager or whatever. It, it, that's your day to day stuff that you have to get done. But it's yeah. So I think it's um, um, it's nice that you mentioned this um, by by um, Christensen where he explicitly. I mean, it's nice in a certain way. I'm sorry, I'm a philosopher. So he's explaining a metaphor by using another metaphor. And I think it does a very nice job of explaining the first one, right? So this hire and fire logic is a really nice way of kind of framing how we should think about how customers use products and services. They hire them in a certain context and they fire them if they find something better. So I've always liked that way of, of how Christensen puts it. Yeah, same here. Now, Jonathan, you know, um, so one, so somebody that might have just heard what we just said and just sort of hearing this for the first time might say, well, isn't that really just this same thing of, you know, separating solutions from benefits? Is this, is it really any different than that? How might you respond to that? Which I think is a very reasonable thing to observe, by the way, but how might you respond to that? Well, hi, everyone. Um, well, basically, I'd say that's probably true. Um, we've been rehashing the same ideas for, for years and years. You know, people like to go through the history of different ideas and can trace things back to the 50s, the 60s, whatever. I, I personally don't really think um, that is really what's the, the most important. I think the most important is, um, does this this framework speak to you? Does it help in your day to day? And whether someone invented something before or if it's a rehashing of old ideas, doesn't matter all that much. That's the, the first thing, which just a general idea I would put out there. But I also think in my journey, getting to jobs to be done, I, I did go through quite a lot of the the history and and looked at various um, approaches and you have these terms that that come forth uh, all the time benefits needs um, you know don't don't sell the features sell the benefits is what you know marketing people will say you see that plastered all over the internet and as a as an entrepreneur I was uh, I didn't study this formally but I, I you know tried to see how I could build my business going online. And what I felt is that often you had little tidbits of information, but there was always lacking for me was a coherent whole that kind of put everything together in a coherent way and said, well, here's a, here are the definitions that we're going to use. Here's how they all fit together. Here's how they're interrelated and here's a process that you can use. And I, I thought that was very refreshing because I had come across the same thing. People talk about needs, talk about all sorts of things. And uh, I feel sometimes that the, they, no one really agreed on what actually they were, what, what they meant by these terms. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Essentially, if somebody else has another method and they're separating solutions and benefits and they want to say jobs be done is not new, it's like, I don't even need to have that. Okay. <laughs> There's certainly a lot of it that is, is uh, builds on older things. As you would expect, it would be completely weird if a new philosophy popped up out of the ether. I mean, that is, I would be very suspicious. I'd be more suspicious of that. Um, Jan mentioned, you know, Tony's book, what customers want, which is, I've just, I think, that is just the best title for for a book. Right. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I believe Tony told me he originally had a different title. That was what the publisher suggested, which was a, a fantastic, a fantastic title. But, you know, I mean, there's sort of lots of, um, how would I say, founders of our modern job to be done. But I really, I really do personally converge on two, which is Christensen and Tony Owick. So yeah. Christensen, you know, told in his uh, marketing malpractice article told this story of this, of this milkshake, um, this milkshake innovation. I don't even know if the story is true. I don't really care if the story is true because it, it illustrates a point. And just to briefly summarize, uh, he, Christensen and his team were working with um, 
presumably, I think McDonald's is even how the story goes, and they wanted to improve their abilities to make uh, or sell milkshakes. They're looking at their milkshake sales. They were flat. And so they started experimenting with, um, you know, how they with um, different incentives and coupons and all the things, all the, the tools, all the levers that marketers pull, you know, maybe combining it with you get a cheeseburger with this together or whatever. And it just didn't move the needle. It was flat. So they started observing, studying when people were consuming these milkshakes and just to try to understand what was going on. And they noticed that there was an interesting subgroup of milkshake consumers. And they, they, this group consumed them in the morning. They were by themselves during a, what presumably was a commute, to, a, a decent uh, commute to work. And so that was sort of interesting. That's not really what you think about as a milkshake consumer. You think about the, the kid. Uh, it's just not what you think about, right? It's ice cream. Um, and so they, they started some of these initial jobs to be done type uh, questions. In other words, what was somebody, what job was somebody hiring this milkshake to do? And it turns out in a, jobs you've done practitioners that's a question you're going to ask a lot because it's so useful but anyway so what job are these customers hiring this milkshake for and with a little more investigation they found that the milkshake one of the things they liked about it is during their commute it kept them entertained because why because it was very slow to consume you know through the straw it kept them full for you know several hours so they wouldn't need another snack until their their destination and of course they could hold it in one hand so you know uh, christians <laughs> very humorously to me describes all the alternatives and i'll probably not have his exactly right but he says you know you could you could have a donut but it's gone in a second and who can only eat one donut and or you could have a Snickers bar, but then oh, you'd feel very guilty if you ate a Snickers bar for breakfast. Which, by the way, I'm not sure how you feel less guilty with the milkshake, but that's. <laughs> um, and they said, and you could have a bagel and cream cheese, but you can't you can't spread the cream cheese while you're driving. So he goes through all these attributes mm. about how a milkshake competes very well uh, for the, for this job, and it's, yeah. a, it's a wonderful story. And again, I don't even know if it's true. Maybe somebody listening to this can let us know. <laughs> I don't care if it's true. It's very illustrative yeah. of, um, of how jobs be done can use. And then as a result, so then then it was the action was to create like smoothies and put fruit and bits of fruit. So even alleviating the guilt. I don't know if it's more healthy, but at least maybe it feels healthier to have bits of fruit in your in your smoothie. Yeah. So it gave them meaningful uh, information. So Christensen and then Olwick with what customers want. I mean, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, people have confusions about what's a need, what's a requirement, what's a want. And we sort of use these terms interchangeably, what's a benefit. And that's Tony made a lot of big contributions. So I'm not going to say this is the one, cause there's a lot of them, but certainly that's a big one. Is Tony said, you know what? The inputs are wrong, and we need to understand definitions of customer needs. And he defined those as the criteria used to best accomplish the job. So if we were turning to the milkshake, it was you know the criteria about being full, mm -hmm. not feeling guilty. Uh, yeah, um, he, he uses the word metrics also. Uses the word metrics. Yeah. yeah. You want to explain that a little more, Jonathan? Well, I mean, I think you've you've already done a pretty nice job explaining. I mean, that's I love that example of the the milkshake. I mean, I think it's the the first one that people discover on YouTube when when they search for for jobs to be done. And I, and I think what's what attracted me to to this theory is a few of these core principles. There, the 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 multiple ones, but one is this idea that your competition is not necessarily uh who you think it is and so for the milkshake you're in competition right. with a, a banana a, cook, a cookie yeah. or whatever and, right. and i thought that was very interesting right um regarding the yeah so the, i mean i think uh, one of the the big insights tony had was to i mean there's this whole field of requirements engineering that was there going back to history a lot of different things and uh, people used um, use definitions as mentioned previously interchangeably and not very precisely. And Tony basically reduced all these definitions that we might 
have used in the past, like benefits, needs, solutions, problems. He basically reduced them to three, um, three different kinds of things. So the jobs, of course, that uh, uh, we've talked about, the, the, the desired outcomes, and something he also called constraints. And so these desired outcomes co would correspond to uh, what people traditionally understand as being needs and needs. Yeah. Um, so desired outcomes is, so, so that's basically what uh, Tony did. Sorry. What was the, the question again? <laughs> about metrics. You're explaining that. metrics. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that people use metrics to um, to estimate how well the job went when they uh, hire a product to do a job, and and these metrics are um, what are called desired outcomes, and and this is what uh, customers use to to decide if uh, a product was is good or not good in achieving a, a job yeah yeah it's perfect well, yeah, i think sorry go ahead jan no that's good i will i i just know another book that really made that really did a good job of figuring out and 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 kind of putting all those concepts into place and uh, i know you're much too humble to mention this but it's your book of course scott which i would really recommend so um the statue in the stone, I'll just say it, throw it out there. But it's really, if you're looking for why jobs to be done is really a cohesive, coherent, well, actually philosophy, where the and how concepts within that um, relate, for example, need and benefit, and then up to positioning and so on and other questions. So that's a really great book I just want to mention there. Um, for me, this kind of this distinction between job and, and, and outcomes, it was it, it's very important. Important, but then again, also, I think a great source of confusion, at least at the very beginning, because it gets cobbled together. It's very hard to figure out which, which is which, and then they get mixed together. So in, nowadays, if you look on, on the web, you'll find, you'll find content that just doesn't make that difference. And I think it's a crucial one, however. So for me, it was always kind of, and I, I don't know if that's correct, but for me, kind of the job, that uh, the job itself is kind of, a, a it, it's a, it's an answer to the questions, why do people use a certain product in the first place? Yeah. So not a, not a specific product, but the product or the service or whatever in the first place. That, so that's the job. And then when it comes to the questions, why do they use a specific one? Why that solution instead of another? So in all of the alternatives that you mentioned, bananas and so on, why do they use that one? The criteria, the outcomes, or however we want to call it, they explain why a certain person uses a specific product, one specific product, because it's better, it performs better on a set of those metrics. So that was always kind of the way I tried to, yeah, kind of keep these, these, they are related, but I kind of keep them apart. So the job answers the fundamental question of why they use products in the first place. And the metric tells you why they use a specific solution in a in it, right? So the milkshake, for example, if you take the same metrics, but um, you, for example, use them in a different context or you use another set of metrics, you get another solution, right? If you want, for example, the energy to be, the energy to your body um, to be in there fast, you probably take a donut or, some, or a banana or something with much more sugar. So if you change the importance, as it were, of those metrics, how much they matter to you in a certain context, then the product changes. So that's kind of a way of I, how I try to think about this. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like, well, it's definitely confusing jobs and outcomes because it, it can yeah. it can depend on your um on what like sort of where your perspective on like where you're where you're looking at it. But if you're beginning with and just which is why defining a market is one of the most difficult things to do uh, with, within jobs to be done. I mean, are you in the milkshake market? Are you in the entertainment market? Are you in the entertainment during a commute market? Are you in the yeah. you know, nutrition or whatever? However, so it's like, you have to ask that question. And with many of my own clients, when I start to have this conversation about defining a market reliably, somebody will say to me, you are sure making our business sound complicated. And I'll say, <laughs> no, 
I'm just, just, we're just trying, we're having conversations that you're not having. We're trying to explore what, where your, what your markets are. We're working with you to define them. We're asking questions nobody's asking. And that's yeah. why it feels uncomfortable. It's so simple to say we make milkshakes. We're in the milkshake market. We make them chocolate, strawberry. It's that's, you know, whatever. Here's the demographics of people who, who are purchasing them, you know. But it's like just because, but they're just not aware. They're just not asking good enough questions. And so, but if people find it uncomfortable uh, yeah. sometimes to yeah. really explore why somebody purchased. Yeah, but to build off your point, Jan, so then the yeah the jobs what they want to accomplish and then the outcomes that's the criteria that they'll evaluate uh, that they'll evaluate each of their solutions i mean yeah. actually i really i really liked how you explained it Jan. um i think with this um how you can i thought it was a great explanation of the outcomes well thanks <laughs> <laughs> well hey, go ahead can i no i just i don't know i, I just want to um, so I think the point maybe is worth mentioning also to kind of stretch it and um, this idea of alternative solutions, as it were. I mean, okay, the term alternative is a bit, but let's say other ways of accomplishing the, the, the yeah. job. I think that's really worth, because that for me, and I'm just, so I'm just starting to think about this, but, and I would really like kind of, yeah, kind of your reaction to this, but it's, doesn't this make, I, for me, that's inherent, it makes jobs to be done inherently innovative. So the moment you start thinking about, and that's uncomfortable. So that's the uncomfortable moment that you mentioned, but it's inherently innovative. It's kind of, if you're not asking demographics or uh, um, um, yeah, whatever you want to have features or, or competition, right? Which is a very traditional way of thinking about it. But if you're asking jobs and what are the, what are, what's the job that we're in or that our product figures into, it, it inherently makes you think of other ways of accomplishing the same thing. Right. And that to me, there is somewhere in there is a link that that why it's so useful in innovation. So I don't know, but I'm, I, don't, I don't have kind of a clear way of thinking about and talking about this, but somehow there is a link there that, that I think is worth exploring. So I don't know. 100%. Because I guess, you know, before, I think that may be one of the most important things that jobs to be done really got people are thinking about. Because before, I think the closest thing we had was this idea of a substitute product which would say a different product form that so I don't even know how to describe it without using the word hires, a different product form that somebody would purchase, um, you know, but it's like when I was, um, you know, so I was with John Deere for a good bit of my career. And one thing that works against a company is when they become hyper competitive against their, the other common machine forms. So we give an example. So we made John Deere lawn tractors. And so, our enemy was Kubota, the orange ones, and we're going to take their market share. And the next one was the blue, New Holland. We're going to take their market share. And you go to different parts of the world, but you're, you're just, you're thinking about these lawn tractors, but you know what, maybe, what about a servant? What if in Europe, you guys are in Europe, you've, you have these robotic mowers is quite common. I don't know if you see them, but it's taken off there, but also there's mowing, clearly mowing services. And so, yeah. I think it, there was something more fun and competitive. It almost feels like a football game or a sport to say we're number one or we want to compete. Um, and it's just less comfortable to think about the alternatives that your true competition, your true competition, I mean, yeah. true competition are the different ways a customer might yeah. accomplish the same job. And I, I just don't, I think it's less comfortable way of thinking. I mean, I think it can also inspire you to 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 do more innovative things, bouncing off what you were saying, Jan. Yes. Because um, if you're if you're just looking at your product category, then it, it's you know you're probably gonna try and get better on the same dimensions as your competitors. But if you're, I mean, another good example is the is transportation. I mean, if you're you're talking about, I mean, you can go to point A to point from point A to point B using different means of transportation, trains, cars, uh, bikes. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot. And each have their own um, benefits and uh, to use an old word. Um, and you can actually, if you recognize that as a, a car manufacturer, you may be in competition with a, with a you know, with the train, um, the, the train network, then 
then maybe that could inspire you to to do to innovate on your cars in ways that you wouldn't have thought of if if you didn't take into account the railway networks. Yeah. There is, I mean, there is a, we did, we did work a little bit for transportation companies. And I, I like that you mentioned this example, because I mean, look at us now, we're sitting here talking through, um, I don't know if you can imagine like a digital. Okay. So we're talking digitally, digitally, digitally and with each other. And of course, if you're asking, I mean, that's, you mentioned this a little bit before Scott. So in this kind of, what's your perspective, what's the way you're looking at it, but you can always ask, of course, why do you want to get from A to B? Now, there might be other reasons there. For example, meet somebody, right? Do you want to go? I don't you want to go to a place or you want to meet somebody. That's why, or maybe two of the biggest reasons why you go from A to B. Now, the issue is meet, meeting somebody. You can now, there's different ways now of doing that, which at the moment, I don't know how it is in, 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 in the US, but in Switzerland, I mean, the, 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 the National Railway Service, they've lost 30% or so of, of um of people that, that no longer use transportation because we work from home, we no longer commute. And that is of and 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 there you can kind of see how how thinking about jobs and what they what customers actually want to achieve. And they don't want to sit in, in into a train and go from A to B. That's not what they want. They also don't want to sit into a car and get from A to B. They want to, there is another purpose that they want to achieve. And there is fundamentally different ways of achieving the same thing, which can totally erase your let's say market or whatever that then means but it's so it's a perfect situation i think right now with all these um, new ways of working and digital ways of working where you can see you can get the same thing done in very very different ways and of course that yeah is for some it's hard for others it opens up opportunities what a great example yeah right. yeah and that actually leads us to 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 another uh, another question, which is then what at what level should you consider the the the, the job? So, if we take your example. There's the transport, but there's then at a high level, maybe it's meeting someone. Um, so, which one would should you choose? Is there any way of um, dealing with that? It's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> If you begin, let's just go with this example. So let's, let's pretend we're, we run the train service and we ask the question, you know, what is somebody hiring this? You know, or you could say, why? why what's, what are they hiring this train service for? And you get to this answer to, to meet with other people. And then you ask the question, well, what you just do it again. Well, what purpose, what are they hiring this meeting for? And maybe it's to you know, form relationships and what are they, or it's to learn. We'll take that one, it's to, it's to learn. But that's the point. It could be a solution can address different jobs. I don't want to get too off track here, but it's to learn. What's the purpose of why do you want to learn? How would that help you? Well, maybe I can make more more money. You keep doing that over and over and you'll get to a you'll get to um, what some methods have called happiness and bliss is like the ultimate job. As Jan knows and Jonathan knows it, in my book, I said, well, the, the highest one was to be at peace. It's totally yeah. just my opinion. It's totally just my opinion. Uh, well, I should I should mention that I was building on an idea by Dr. Min Bassader, who has an amazing uh, innovation system. He's he's been working on for decades. It's amazing. And he, and so I began with his, which he said that, and he did this. He didn't use jobs to be done terminology, but his mm. method is very consistent with it. I put it that way. And his ultimate, I use our terminology now. His ultimate job was happiness and bliss. And I just really put my opinion on top of it and said, I actually, I think it's to be at peace. Now, interesting, uh, Jan and I, when we didn't know it, yeah. he asked me that question on Twitter. Uh, we yeah. were just like Twitter following each other or whatever. He said, how did you arrive at that? And based on him asking that question, <laughs> I was like, I need to know who this guy is. Cause he's, he's ba just to ask that question. I knew and you'll, John's heard me tell his story. You'll hear me tell it more. Yeah. I thought it was very insightful. Uh, a question. Yeah. Well, I, 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 it immediately, I mean, I read your book and several things jumped out at me, but that one was, I thought was really an interesting one, right? Because uh, I mean, maybe you can explain this a little bit more and I, I would love going in there because I think there is a lot of value trying to figure out if we could really pin, imagine if we could really, let's say pinpoint, yes, that's the highest job that everybody wants to achieve. And we can, I mean, well, okay. So the end goal here could maybe be, could we try to figure out 
a new way of a hierarchy of fundamental human needs. So kind of replacing the Maslow pyramid or whatever we, we use in, in jobs terminology. So, and I just wanted to understand how you, how you, how do you, how do you, how you got there? How, kind of how, because there probably could have been two or three other ways in which you could phrase it. And why is it at peace? So I thought that was a really interesting, an interesting way of you to describe kind of the, 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 the highest thing that the people want to want to achieve. So yeah, it, it immediately jumped out of me in the book. You know, I probably haven't been that introspective about it. I began, I, but I think I have an answer. I think, I think I have an answer. Okay. The, um, so originally, so my starting point was this happiness and bliss. So I don't, I didn't move very far. So I didn't, I don't know that I added <laughs> that much, but I think it was a natural outgrowth of something that was a core idea of the book, which was to help a customer accomplish a job perfectly at the top level, perfectly. You hmm. do that by removing everything bad, removing all the errors. And I should add, that's not my idea either. That came from something I heard Tony Olick say many times. And, and Tony's process is called outcome-driven innovation. Yeah. Uh, but Tony said, I heard him say many times, that the purpose of outcome-driven innovation, which is his hmm. job's method, is to help a customer to accomplish a job perfectly. And that just blew my mind, but I didn't know how to act on it. But now mm. combining that with other things, with other conversations with Tony, one of the best educations that anybody could ever get, by the way, is to vet and net outcomes. Go through outcomes with Tony. Let him tell you why it's a good one, what's a bad one. Mm. And that's, a, that's, an, that's an amazing educational experience. But here's what I learned. Uh, the best outcomes were always about removing errors, removing problems. Uh, it was about which is you remove everything that goes wrong. You remove everything that's bad. Remove all the imperfections. What's left? Perfection's left. Um, and so I think hmm. going back to the happiness and bliss, I was like, well, what's if you remove everything bad in your mental state, what's left? And I think this is only an opinion, or at least I'm making a mm. little personal leap. But if you remove everything bad, I don't think you're left with happiness. I think you're just left with a state of peacefulness. And again, you're the philosophy guy, Jan. So <laughs> I am unencumbered by any knowledge or research to support that leap. But um, it just, it just sort of what occurred to me. And at the end of the yeah. day, I'm not yeah. sure it matters that much, except to those of us that are super interested. Right, in that's true. Of us, you know, to the person that's, um, you know, innovating their uh, tractor, yeah. next generation lawn tractor, they're going to be so far below that level. Of stuff. Oh, so these tractor guys, guys this, these tractor no, guys, yeah. should they try and uh, uh, help the customers with peace of mind then? Well, it's interesting. No. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very strong answer on this, but yeah, I mean, I have two, but uh, I think we so, probably have the same one. I mean, I, I, I assume so as well, but um, well, I think so there is a, there is some, I mean, okay. Some people really like getting in this more and more abstract sense. Or so getting higher up, let's say the hierarchy of jobs and that can be extremely dangerous. Um, so it, it can, it, it depends on what you actually want to achieve in the end, but it's it's really, really dangerous because the alternatives to achieve this, they just explode and, and you lose real, I mean, you lose touch with, with the actual product that you want to improve. So it's, it's and, and it's very tempting because, um, okay, maybe that's not true for all the companies, but in a lot of companies, people are trained to think in an abstract way, to always abstract, 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 and they, they tend to go higher up the ladder of jobs. And I think there is a lot of risk in that because you really lose touch with, with well, the actual customer as well. Because, I mean, customers don't come to John Deere for peace of mind, right? I mean, sometimes they have certain but if you really think about who gives me peace of mind then i go to i don't know a seminar on the weekend or what right so it's it's very dangerous to go high up too much high up and it's it's i think an art in itself to define kind of the the altitude let's say yeah i mean what comes to mind for me is is a uh, again not a very heavily researched topic but something i found on the internet which is this concept of ikigai i don't know if you guys have heard of uh, of this 
it's a, it, I think it's more for, for personal development and around defining what kind of things you should be working on. And it's basically a Venn diagram. I, I forget now exactly what the, the different circles were in the diagram, but basically what you should be working on is somewhere the confluence between what you can do, what you want to do, what you can you know, actually earn a living with, and somewhere there in the middle is, is what you should be. And I think, I mean, my view on this is that uh, it, it's quite similar also for in, in this case. I mean, uh, if you build tractors, uh, well, you know, don't maybe focus on, on making a seminar to bring people peace of mind. So just, that's just not what you're, you're best at probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very similar, very similar perspective to you guys. You know, sometimes um, there's one, there's one way this is handled sometimes. Well, anyway, we're, we're explaining exactly the same way. It's essentially, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate job in a sense, but um, it's sometimes framed a little differently as an emotional job. Um, and mm -hmm. meaning something they want to accomplish this emotional job while they're doing the functional job. Those are slightly different perspectives, but regardless of where you land on it, if you, if you learn, it's very important and unsatisfied that someone's at peace. So it's the very top as if, as a product manager for compact utility tractors, like, what are you going to do about that? I mean, at, at most, at best, maybe it could influence some of the creative stuff later. Um, yeah you know, for how the position, the literal uh, marketing and advertising, I mean, like the, like the images, I mean, it could, it could come into play there, but when you're going, but in general, you're much better off. Th those are, th those are rabbit trails that are going to distract you early on. Focus on, now this, again, this is sort of my opinion. I think it's all of our opinions, but focus on the functional thing. You can help a customer uh, to mm. get done better. Keep, keep there. You'll, most of the time when somebody says, well, what about the emotional jobs? That usually starts a lot of conversation that, that is not overly, um, yeah. overly productive. You know, it's interesting when I've noticed that when brand new jobs to be done enthusiasts have a tendency to go a little bit too high. Yeah. Because they're very cognizant of, hey, I, I want to get away from my, so if I make, if I make compact utility tractors and so one thing they do is mow the lawn, we'll say. And, but also they're there. What's the per? Well, why do you, what does somebody hire a mowed lawn for? Well, it's to have a more beautiful property. And so they probably should be mow the lawn, but they'll go, they'll want to innovate on maintaining a beautiful property, even though there's just lots of other things. So they have a, my, my observation is they have a new enthusiasm. Yeah. They're excited. They know the milkshake story. They, they want to go. They're not always be at peace, but they, they want to be a little bit. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having a well-defined innovation project around something quite narrow, like maintain your tractor or purchase the tractor. Yeah, but here's uh, so I, I completely agree, and I and and it, it, because it's very tempting to go higher up, right? And it's all that beautiful emotional. We should actually do a session and talk about emotions and innovation. And so, yeah. but but one other tip for if you're starting out with jobs to be done is right. Keep, so be aware of not going too high up, and yeah. also think of a lot of value can can come from breadth. So let's say, I mean, if you're thinking this in, in, the, in the, what is it, yeah. the two dimensions? So it's not only up and down, but there is also kind of a dimension of when does a job start and when does it end? And a lot of companies, I think, have much more of, of much more blind spots when it comes to kind of what is left and right. So what happens before or after the, the use of their actual product, then it is up and down. I think up and down is something that marketing or so on, they, they kind of feel this already. They have that in their bones. But I mean, I think it was, yeah, I think it is Tony who, who, who I mean, it's a long time ago, but who explained the, the, the innovation that iTunes was exactly by, by going into the breadth of the job and not and kind of the, the up and down where he says, okay, the real innovation of iTunes was getting a, a step before actually listening to music. Like I think it was organizing your, uh, well, organizing your music, get, getting that done much, much, much more better than any other product out there, which is a step prior to listening to music. So it didn't improve quality of sound. It didn't improve whatever, but it, it, it improved a step that was prior to actually listening to music. And I think a lot of value is in just in that move. 
and and there of course going up can uh, it's, it's complicated going up can help to see what is left and what is right but but maybe focus first on the breadth and 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 not on on going up up and down yeah and he and he actually defined some fundamental steps and he calls this the the job map right to um to analyze all sorts of different jobs based exactly on that idea of, of different stages um in in um purchasing uh, well you can also yeah. look at consumption jobs how you purchase uh, purchase products and services etc so there's a, there, there are a lot of different jobs and actually actually that is a bit of the scary bit isn't it that um, uh, you might end up with lots and lots of jobs that you need to to look at um, i don't know if you guys have any kind of view on on this and how you can actually i think scott you had a, a comment around that i i think once when we talked um around the idea that it's maybe better to do this than than nothing at all i don't know if you wanted to to expand on that idea better do what than nothing at all to 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 have a lot of jobs uh, and it's better to have them in front of you and have them analyzed rather than um uh, just imagine that they they they're not there and that you oh yeah uh, that was the idea yeah. Before you, that's again when people think, well, this job stuff is. You no, know, I think some people we just have different natural abilities or abilities, maybe not even the word, uh, different preferences for how much uh, we like to embrace a sort of abstract thinking and divergent thinking. Some of us um, just again, it's probably it's not a ability thing. I don't think so. I don't know. You you guys might probably have more background here than me, but some of us like for brainstorming. Sometimes in a brainstorming session, some folks love the uh, the first bit where all ideas are good ideas. There's no judgment, and we just get people get really excited. And there's other folks that are like, "Well, these are a lot of these are bad ideas," you know. So they're sort of shutting down. That's not their thing. But when it comes time to prioritize and apply judgment, those almost switch. And the people that were just, "Oh, this idea and this idea and this idea," they're they're not so enthusiastic about throwing everything out. And the other folks that are, you know. Um, more comfortable applying judgment, like, no, we can eliminate this one. This is so it's almost like um, we just have different preferences for the you know amount of structure um, that we're comfortable with. So we, during this, so to come back to your point, during this earlier phase of hey, looking at our markets, trying to understand uh, you know what are the jobs that customers hire our, our, our um, products for. Some people are going to naturally, and again, I'm unencumbered by any research or specific knowledge on it. I'm making a little leap, but I'm going to say probably the folks that are that are in, um, more comfortable reserving judgment, more abstract thought, probably embrace that a little more. And the folks that are more comfortable uh, with, with need more structure mm -hmm. with prioritization, it feels sort of like a waste of time, or they are, they feel like they already know the answer. Maybe they do know the answer, but the point is that to your mm -hmm. point. It's still a worthwhile exercise. Look, there's, it's not going to be wasted. But I want to follow back up with what you were saying, John, Jan, about the, about the job map, going horizontal. Yeah. Uh, totally, I think that's where a lot of um, things are missed. It's interesting. So my clients uh, now with my company are primarily a B2B. Mm. A lot of times when we talk about innovating their products, they'll get focused on, it's not even what somebody hires the product for. They want to talk about the purchase of it, like buying it, like buying it. And then all of a sudden the customer becomes the procurement person and the distributor. And those are not who they want. Those are, that's not for any long-term yeah. innovation. I mean, not that you can't innovate the purchase cycle. Certainly you can, but they, my point is they just go there without even thinking, without even yeah. explore the life cycle of, of this product. Sure. We can begin with, awareness prior to purchase and we can end with this we you know we, we buy it or we, we become aware we have a need and whatever we purchase it and we learn to use it and we use it and we maintain it and we ultimately uh, dispose of it or recycle it that's essentially the the job map and that mm -hmm. article is probably the the harvard business review article i've recommended more than any others 2008 uh, lance bettencourt and tony olick uh, it's called the customer centered innovation map and so they later changed the name to job map, but yeah. that, that is a must read in the, in the jobs to be done library. Yeah. 
I agree. I mean, it, I think what, I mean, there's, we, we try to think of this in a hierarchy and we've coupled this together as we tried to do a tool to think through the consequences, but that's, that's, that's a great way. I think a great point to start as it were to, to really, because you have to think it through and it's, it's once you get the gist of it, once you get the hang of it, you're quite quick at making those job maps. I mean, at least as a hypothesis. But you kind of you can kind of think through what would be the, what would it mean if we innovated on that level or on this level, and then you can choose. You can make an actual informed decision about what 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 level we're going to choose. But I just wanted to maybe because you're, I mean, we did some B to B projects, yes, but I think you're much more into this space and you're applying it much more in B two B, and I think that's a kind of under highlighted space in jobs to be honest, to be honest. I mean, the examples are always very B2C, they're always on a, or very often on a kind of a physical product. So if you could tell us a little bit, I mean, I would love to hear a bit more about your experience of how, how applying jobs to be done in a B2B context works and what is maybe difficult or, or, or different than in a B2C, because you were seen, I mean, you have much more experience in that, so. Yeah, a couple quick. I think first one thing to mention is we talked about that highest level job of be at peace. Well, not for a business. We say it's be profitable at the highest there. And again, I'm also unencumbered by any research. So, but I think that's intuitive to most folks. So, you're not going to get everybody being at peace in the companies. The, co the companies exist to make money. Um, that's one beginning. Um, let's see. Um, well, what, one very practical thing you run into a lot is. So an individual, so is who is, um, when you look at the stakeholders or the, the job executors to use our jobs language, um, for B2C, it's often much simpler. So we, we talked about yeah. mowing the lawn. So you can think of who's the person mowing the lawn. Then you can look at who's the person maintaining the mower and who's the person purchasing the mower. You get to a pretty short list. And by the way, those three are probably the same person, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so very, but now go to a, co a company, let's say they're purchasing, um, I don't know, say they make plastics or they make steering wheels. Um, and so steering wheel, we'll stick with tractors thing. That's sort of where my brain is. So they make steering wheels for tractors. Okay. Who now, so who's their customer? Is it the person using the steering wheel? Is it the, is it the design mm. engineer? who's designing a tractor, they've got the design engineers going to have some pretty particular needs for how that should be designed. The quality engineers, what about production and manufacturing? They're going to have, so after it's designed, they're going to have certain needs about, about these, those, the steering yeah. wheels. And, um, and then you go up a level, I mean, or is it, or should the customer really be about like, you know, somebody, uh, like a vice president of growth or something. And so there's a lot more stakeholders in B2B yeah. and, it's a, it's the answer is not obvious and it's often more than one, but you have to ask a really hard question. And that's where real, really, well, all innovation for a company, it's a series of innovations. Like it's this, there's a product innovation. There's a purchase innovation. There's a, mm -hmm. whatever, as a, um, a customer service innovation. And so when a company's begin, I think they need the challenge is with any one initiative, they like, they want to do everything. And yeah. I think we should sort of pick one, I mean, or, or at least pick, or at least be, let's at least have the conversation about who we're, we're innovating for. And those are very uncomfortable conversations because they, they want to pick everything. Now, here's another complication on top of that is they'll commonly or too often, they'll imagine their customer is like a senior level person at, at uh -huh. So it's a stick. We're make steering wheels. So they say, well, my customer is this you know, senior vice president of manufacturing at John Deere because they're the ones that ultimately is in charge. But you know what? That senior level person is not buying the steering wheel. Yeah. They're not designing the tractor. They're not installing it. They're not responsible. Well, I guess they're responsible, but they're not overseeing the production of the tractor. They're not shipping the tractor. They're not selling the tractor. So sure that's somebody you want to win with but they they don't have the information when we're looking to innovate we're looking for problems that high level person doesn't have that information and mm. so um that's probably just one example but i think in b2b there's just a lot of there's confusion about these points and i'll, I'll throw in one more thing this isn't even jobs you done specific but um the product manager role is it's very interesting because some industries take it very seriously and a product manager is a high level professional position 
really most should have or do have MBAs, um, highly experienced folks. They're responsible for the product strategy. B2C companies yeah. take this seriously. C software companies take them seriously. For reasons I don't understand, very large B2B companies often have this role underfunded. Or they're just, they grab a college graduate, wave a magic wand, you're a product <laughs> manager. And so, and that, so the people in, in, again, I don't think that's B2B related, or, or I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I don't think it's jobs be done related per se, but that when you're working with folks trying to use jobs be done, that becomes a big, a major problem. So but to answer your question, so the ultimate job for B2B is about uh, profitability. Um, yeah. the, the ecosystem is more complicated because there's more people and that makes the process more difficult because you have to, it's going to be more difficult to select who yeah. you want to innovate for. Yeah. And, and I would add that actually sometimes you even have people, uh, you will have people have, who will have contradictory jobs, if one can say it this way. I mean, uh, a typical yeah. example is uh, a B2B company developing some IT solution and getting uh, having a showstopper in, in, in the person of the IT department who, who basically doesn't really want this solution because it, it, it takes off some of their responsibility or something like this. So these are all things to consider yeah. too, I guess. 100%, 100%. Sticking with the tractor thing, tractor companies have a safety engineer and the safety engineer's job is to make sure that like, I mean, it's, it's so impossible for any accident to ever happen. Like when they get up every day, their only job is to make the thing safer. Now, now you take, um, you know, whatever the mark, the product manager who's looking at what the customer wants, you know, making something easier to drive or steer, or whatever, do your point, Jonathan, you can see that they're going to be, they're going to have different opinions. They're going to literally be at odds. So here's the, here's the, here's the question you want answered in B2B. You want to ultimately know how the company makes decisions, right? Not an individual, but how the company how, so we talked about the criteria, the job, the criteria for jobs, mm. how, when the company, how are they going to make decisions? And it gets more complicated because now what's their, uh, frame of innovation. Are they, is it narrow or is it, or is it wide? So yeah. it's, but the good news is, is that jobs be done completely applies. In fact, I don't, I think you would be lost without it and without jobs yeah. done, everything would seem simpler, but that's because you, it's because you're just you're, you're not asking the hard questions. You're just like, you're just innovating yeah. a design engineer or whoever, or the purchase or even God help us, the purchasing agent, you know? <laughs> I loved it that you mentioned this. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think this goes maybe back to one thing that I, that, that we started off with, where I also thought that, that Christensen explains it in a very powerful way. And I think it, it links back to why in a more complicated space like B2B, Jobs to be done is so nice because what Christensen also says is, look, the if you want to innovate, the unit of analysis is not the person, is not the individual, it's not their attributes in terms of age and 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 yeah. demographics and social status and what right. They all factor in in a certain way, but that's not the unit that you want to look at. What you want to look at is the is the jobs that want to get done. And of course, companies can have jobs. Why not? Why should they not? Uh, right. So, and I think there is a helpful abstraction of getting 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 into a language in the space where it doesn't matter if it's a person or it's if it's a company because it's not about that. It's about another way, another way of speaking and another way of thinking, which is exactly the jobs that they want to achieve, be it profit, be profitable, or or whatever it is. So, I think that's a that's probably one of the reasons why in B2B and in B2C jobs to be done can, can add a lot of value because it, it kind of links them together. It, it provides a language that is true for all of these spaces in a certain sense. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I would also add, I think, you know, it may, while applying jobs to be done can feel overwhelming if it's unusual thinking, the good news is it's pretty, it's going to be quite stable. I mean, once you have an immersion, you sort of, you can describe your markets, you know, yeah. it's not going to be a completely different scheme next year. You're going to have really have something, uh, you know, you can anchor on for, for a long time. We didn't, we didn't talk about this, but a job, 
is very stable over time. It's not that it never changes. It's not, there can be new jobs, but for the most part, jobs are very constant. Yes. One example that, um, that, you know, Tony used in his literature, well, let's see if I can remember this exactly, but it was the job of closing a wound. And it was pretty cool because he went back over and showed different solutions for closing wounds. And so you begin, so imagine you make sutures, you make sutures. That's what uh, surgeons hire your product to close wounds. And so, but then, you know, um, going back in time, you, you know, well, I mean, mm. when you went all the way back in time, you had these crazy, um, some kind of ring, some kind of rings that you would put through to hold oh. the <laughs> But then there was these ants. That was kind of the coolest thing. You would put the ant on the wound and it would clasp and then you would cut its head off and it would stay clasped. Oh, nice. Wow, really? Amazing. <laughs> and I saw that then it a lot. And one day I was like watching this Discovery Channel and there were on one of these survival shows and there's somebody actually demonstrated it. So I, I think it's legit. But then of course now modern times we have staples and cements and and mm. uh, my point, the point was over time, the solutions change, uh, but the jobs stay very stable. So the work that yeah. when a company starts a job, I mentioned this for this reason, when a company's starting its jobs to be done journey, it probably will feel overwhelming, but you're, you're building a language, you're building something you'll be able to use or people will use years after you've retired. I mean, will last as long yeah. as I remember when I was an ad, I became an advocate for this then John Deere. And I printed out, I had my little PowerPoint presentation. I printed out, I literally <laughs> from office to office, knocking on doors and I'd, I'd give my presentation and, and somebody, and one, one executive looked right at me. He said, okay, we got a, we got a strategic planning session next week. How, how's this of any useful usefulness to me? Hmm. And um, I said, well, we make, we, we make lawnmowers, right? Yeah. So if we're thinking about something, well, his strategic was for 30 years out in the future. And I said, well, you know, um, we, we sort of know what mowers will be in next year, the probably year after we can, those are, but, but 30 years from now, we have no idea, but what hmm. we do know, what we can anchor, we need to anchor on something that's stable as opposed to something, a solution that's not stable. So think about how will people main, maybe you do go a level higher there. How will people maintain beautiful lawns in 30 yeah. years? And that's something you can, you can build a multiple decade strategy. Yeah. And I don't know if it was a good answer, but it's, but he let, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's one of the, the core, uh, these core, one of these core principles that's very attractive anyway, was very attractive to me when I first discovered jobs to be done, this notion of stability in addition to defining needs well and uh, being able to identify who is your real competition. I, I think those are some of the, the core ideas that are really, really interesting. Um, going back to the idea of the customer being the unit of analysis, um, I mean, and also to the discussion as to is this just redoing what has already been done in the past? Uh, people have segmented and tried to understand their markets through needs in in the old term and voice of the customer, for example, also. Um, mm tries to understand uh, and, and gather customer needs. Um, well, definitely Ulwick in his book uh, makes a, a distinction between what he is doing and what jobs to be done should be doing and this kind of voice of the customer, which is also called needs-based segmentation. Um, maybe I can expand a bit on this and you can yeah. let me know what, what you think about it. Because I know, I think you, you Scott, you, you're quite knowledgeable on voice of the customer. So maybe you can correct me if I say anything wrong. Um, but the understanding I have from it is that, um, well, I mean, as we mentioned, needs has many kinds of different definitions. But if you go out and ask a customer what he wants, often he will uh, give you his needs in terms of, uh, of the solution. And, and I think uh, the problem, this is something that I think Jobs to be Done does very well, is identifying that this is, as we've mentioned, unstable. Uh, solutions are unstable. And you, you really have to look in terms of uh, the, what we would call problem framing. What is, what is the, the problem that we're trying to, to solve for customers? And um, so I think the, the, 
so people often will, will say, well, jobs to be done is just voice of the customer. I think the what is uh, valuable in jobs to be done is they really defines these desired outcomes in, uh, very precisely in terms of uh, what one would call this problem space. I mean, would you would you agree with this, Scott? Or am I doing a, an unfair no. trial uh, on uh, voice of the customer? No, for sure. Totally agree with it. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, when I read What Customers Want the very first time, one of the things that really, as I'm just taking this in, the, it was the segmentation where it actually sort of, I really, I just sort of found the usefulness there. I mean, it was, I mean, I don't, I'm sure, I think I would have found it useful anyway, but all of a sudden with the, with the, with it, with a um, outcome-based segmentation or a criteria of a job to be done segmentation, now you can look at, here's a group of customers and they have the same criteria. So if we go back to our, our milkshake example, you know, this group of customers, they value you know, the ability to use it, you know, with one hand and to stay full and all these things. Now I can, I know what to do. I know what to do about if, with my new product uh, development. And it's interesting. I think um, going back to Christensen as great as what Christensen as helpful as it was, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> like I didn't know what, <laughs> It's like it's wonderful, but um, yeah. but oh, it gave us was a process, and we knew what mm. to do next. And and it um, we were beginning with the end in mind, right? Using this, we it was pre-programmed. Well, for general voice of customer, let me back up a second. A, an issue with a lot of voice of the customer, you go out, you do a lot of interviews, and you get all have this conversation, you feel real good about it, and you get transcripts and all this information, and you like still don't know what to do. <laughs> like you don't have actual yeah. information with a jobs we've done process that begins with what job are we trying to help a customer to accomplish? And then, then proceeds with what are they, what are these criteria and these outcomes? What's its total list of outcomes. And then now what's the priority of those? It's the, pro the process is guaranteed to be actionable. If you do it well, actionable. And well, again, yeah. if you select the right job, the right level, you do all that. You're going to not just learn things that are interesting, but you'll learn things that are interesting and useful. I yeah. think what really separates it now, not that other methods can't, can't accomplish that, but it's the best thing that, that I've personally found. Yeah. And it's, it's so the, what I, I just to add on this is, and you can give it to different people in the organization and they all okay, not 100%, but very, very high up there, understand the same thing and work on the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, if, I mean, probably we should do once really kind of a, give a precise and good explanation of what such, such a criteria actually is. And yeah. if that per, turns out to be kind of the most relevant problem in the market, I mean, let's say the, uh, I don't know, um, for example, the, the, the time you feel full, like let's take a milkshake so that it, the time to, that you feel full is one of those, I mean, it's not it's not perfectly well formulated, right? We all agree, but that is one of those criteria. Um, and if that turns out to be kind of the most burning pain point in the market, and and you, you suddenly have a way of speaking about customer problems that you can give to marketing, you can give to product, you can give to right. whomever, and they all they all look at, I mean, we had that experience several times where, where you show the result of a, of a well-done jobs to be done study, different people in the room, different background, and they all agree on the same truth and on the same thing. And they start working in the same direction. And I mean, that's beautiful, right? So if, if you, exactly. it doesn't happen all the time, but if you get there, it's really, yeah, it's a nice thing. No, I think for company leaders, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very useful framework. Also, if you're not totally, if you're a bit removed from the actual product design and, and innovation, but you're heading a, a company, I think that, it's, it's very useful too because it, it creates a coherence, uh, a common language that people in the in the company in the organization can talk about. And actually, I even think it can give some very useful insights into how you can uh, organize your teams. Because I mean that it's typical. You know, people go back and forth in in terms of how they organize their companies, either based on function or the product uh, or whatever. And, and you could actually imagine organizing your company around uh, jobs, yes. for example. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. in terms of organizational um, approaches, that's also quite useful. 
I, I imagine maybe I'm just being optimistic, but I would not be surprised Jonathan to see that done more in the future, eventually, um, organized more around jobs. It'll be, inter it'll be interesting to see certainly for longer term innovations like shorter term. Yeah. Whatever they make is probably going to be close to that form, but at the very least they'd have their eyes wide open. Cause if you're, if you're the CEO of a train company, you probably didn't see zoom coming as, as, as a <laughs> at least, at least in your strategic planning, you sort of, you can know what to look out for. Now, whether you're in a position to yeah. about it, that's a different question, but it could, it could better to be knowledgeable than, than not knowledgeable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's better to be ignorant and happy. And I also think, I also think in a way, I mean, we're talking about this level of abstraction and, and going higher and higher and peace of mind, et cetera. And that the, um, say the ultimate job of a of a of a business is 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 profit but i think if you look around uh, you know a lot of the uh, entrepreneurs that people admire today um I'm, I'm not sure they'd actually give that answer i mean a, a lot right. of these people are mission driven purpose driven take people like elon musk i mean he yeah. wants us to go to mars etc um and and in a way I think there's a there's this is quite a nice connection between let's say the low level jobs that you might help your clients with and thinking in terms of more holistic job or mission. I mean, what is a mission, but potentially a, a, a very high level abstract job for, for for your company and what you're trying the change you're trying to make in the world. Yeah. I have to say this, Jonathan. Maybe uh, taking us to Mars is a solution that'll help Elon Musk to feel at peace. <laughs> yeah, that's the, of course, what, what people are saying, right? Right. Him and his friends. Yeah. yeah. But that's, okay. a, I mean, imagine you're on Mars and you don't feel at peace. I mean, what, but okay, yeah, that's but, a different. You probably won't feel at peace if you're on Mars. I mean, uh, at this point. I, I think it's going to be cold. Um, well, guys, this has been fantastic. I feel like we should probably bring this to a conclusion. Any, any final thoughts? Yeah. Oh, there's so much we should talk about. I mean, it, yeah, I, just picking up on this, the question of how perp, actually purpose and jobs is linked. I mean, there's, yeah, there's so much. I just want to say thank you. I thought it was a fantastic discussion. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you, guys. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks for the discussion. I think we all can agree. Jobs Be Done is here to stay. And we can agree we've got a lot more to say about it and certainly will in the near future. Well, that concludes our Product Quest podcast. Please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Bye.